Welcome, everybody. Thank you for joining us on this uh, podcast. And I think we're going to have fun today. Um, our guest today is Dr. Bob Roundtree. Dr. Bob is a, a medical doctor who has been in integrative medicine for 30 plus years now, Bob. Is that right? Yep. Yeah, about 30 36, seven years. Bob's been practicing in Boulder, Colorado that whole time. And he also is chief medical advisor for Thorne. And he is one of those people that uh, has, just has a wealth of information, both about the science, the research, uh, and the industry. So what we want to talk about today is myths, myths of the supplement industry and myths of supplements. And we're going to try to poke some holes in some of these. And, uh, you know, who knows, we may uphold one or two, but I kind of doubt it. So uh, I'm Dr. Alan Miller from Thorne. Let's get started. First of all, thanks for, for being with us, and uh, let's get going here. My pleasure. Great to be here. The first thing I want to talk about, and this is something that um, I know that you and I have both heard from uh, a lot of doctors that don't use supplements or aren't really aware of the research around them, uh, and they say taking supplements just means that you're making expensive urine, that you're... Uh, you're taking a supplement, you are peeing out this bright yellow urine, and it means you're peeing out all the vitamins and you really, uh, you're not benefiting from any of them and you're wasting your money. The reasoning behind that's pretty specious because the yellow urine is flavins, right? From riboflavin. Yeah, right. It's right? Uh, rib totally riboflavin has talking about one yeah. vitamin there that, that causes bright yellow urine and it doesn't take very much riboflavin to make your urine turn yellow. So the question is, just because it's coming out in your urine, does that mean that it's not useful? And the reality is there's a lot of nutrients that come out in your urine after the body's made use of them. I don't understand yeah, the correct. logic. Do you understand the logic? Uh, no, no, I don't really understand the logic either because the, what, what the myth is, is that, oh, you're just peeing it out. Well, the, if you're saying that, you're not fully understanding physiology. <laughs> you're not understanding that um, for it to be in your urine, you have to have absorbed that. So you yeah, swallow well, it, you swallow it, goes into your gastrointestinal system. You have absorbed it. It has gone into your bloodstream. It's gone into your tissues. And then it might, some of them might be uh, metabolized in, a bit. And then you're getting some of those metabolites in your urine. But, That's right. That doesn't mean the riboflavin's coming out. The and, other and thing some, is B, yeah, B vitamins ahead. are not stored in your body, right? They, they, right? they come in, they do their thing, and then you let mm. them go. They, they are water soluble. Yeah. So you're going to let them or their metabolites go. And, and somebody just said the other day about this, um, that maybe what some people are getting mixed up with is, is urine versus stool. And yeah. there's, you know, because if you, uh, if you swallow something and then it comes out in your stool, that could mean that you absorbed it and then the metabolites end up in your stool, or it could mean that you didn't absorb it and yeah, you poop it out. Uh, so, you know, maybe that's where it's coming from. Well, I mean, there certainly have been studies of low-quality vitamins, especially pills, that were highly compressed that appear intact in the stool. That's a bad sign. That means that, you didn't absorb it. Didn't, there was no dissolution of that pill. But the, the myth – so you, you're probably with me in saying that the myth of expensive urine, we busted that one. I think we totally busted it. I mean, I think that just – that's based on a very poor understanding of what nutrients do. I mean, one other thing I'd add to that is that, 
you know, B vitamins in particular are cofactors in enzymatic reactions. That's how they're working. And because they're not stored in their body, you need B vitamins every day to act as those cofactors. So you need so to be they, replenishing they come those. In yeah. your body, you absorb them, they act as the cofactors, and then you excrete what you don't need. That's great. That's kind of the way it's supposed to work, isn't it? That's the way it's supposed to work. So whether you get them from supplements or from food, that's the way they work. That's the way it works. Okay. All right. Let's call that one busted and let's move on. Um, here's another another good one. Um, you never need more than the RDA of a particular nutrient. I have to tell you that that I often wonder what RDA stands for, and I think it stands for ridiculous dietary assumption. <laughs> right? And I mean, really, tell me how you really where feel about do those it. numbers come from? You know, a lot of them are are based on how much it takes to prevent a deficiency disease like scurvy. How much do you, how much uh, D do you need every day to prevent rickets, right? But we know that there's optimal amounts of, of these vitamins. For, and, and the D, I picked the D as an example because a paper just got published uh, in July that looked at vitamin D levels and breast cancer risk. And it found that uh, the, the higher the blood level of vitamin D, the lower the breast cancer risk. And the lowest risk was in people over 60 nanograms. And most people are in the 20 to 30 most range. Most people are in the 20 to 30 range. Yeah. And, and you know, a lot of the... That's based on the RDAs. You know, if they mm -hmm. take the RDA, their levels are going to be low. So, yeah, RDAs, again, are based on how much it takes to prevent a nutritional deficiency disease, not on what it takes to, uh, to create optimal functioning. And we're going for optimal functioning. Optimal functioning includes um, prevention of cancer or enhancement of lifespan, living, living healthier, longer. That's really what we're going for here. And, you know, there, an, another example I can give is uh, there was a study that looked at telomere length. And we know that, that the length of the telomeres, the caps on the end of your chromosomes, corresponds with longevity, right? The, the, the longer your telomeres, the longer you live. And there was a study that looked at people taking multivitamins that found out that the people in the multivitamins had longer telomeres. So that's not a deficient, you know, mm -hmm. you can't correlate that with an RDA in any way, shape or form. It has nothing to do with RDAs. And, and you and I were talking about the other day, you and I were talking about uh, a, a newish paper that was out uh, by Dr. Bruce Ames, who uh, he has this, uh, this theory, which I think proves out very, very easily. Uh, that a small amount of a nutrient will keep you alive. Will keep yes. you, you know, it's it's about all about survival in yes. those smaller smaller amounts, like maybe up to the RDA. It's talking about survival and prevention of those overt symptoms of a deficiency. Yes. But it's not. But it's not talking about those other things that that nutrient will do beyond just keeping you alive. Yeah, he, he calls it the tree. He calls yeah, it the yeah. triage theory, and the triage is that the body um, prioritizes how it uses nutrients. So it's not going to – if you're barely getting enough to survive, it's it's going to prioritize any nutrient that comes in um, for these survival functions, but it's not going to use them for longevity. So I guess if you don't care about longevity, then the RDAs are going to be a fine parameter to work off. So I'd say busted on that one. Busted. Okay. Ridiculous dietary assumptions. 
<laughs> I really, really like that. Uh, what, do you, what do you say to the um, practitioner who says, you can get all you need from food. You don't need to supplement. Well, that, you know, often here, the ideal, if you eat the, the ideal American diet, you get everything you need. I don't know anybody that really eats the ideal American diet. I mean, people get older and they eat less, you know, people get picky. Um, you know, we, we've got this huge obesity epidemic in young people. Are they eating the ideal diet? They, you know, I just read that that the current administration is doing away with the healthy eating lunch program for schools, which means that we're going to allow fast food places like McDonald's to, to cater meals to kids in schools. So, you know, we've, we've seen that movie, um, super size me where the guy tries to live off McDonald's every day and he gets sick. Right. So, um, when you say, you get everything you need from food um, that assumes that you're eating the perfect diet. You're eating only fresh fruits and vegetables that you have a wide variety of, of nutrients. And that's the first part. And the second part is that you have no increased need based on biochemistry. Well, what if you've got uh, polymorphism in the vitamin D receptor that increases your need for vitamin D, you're you're not going to be able to get enough vitamin D from food. You know, you you're going to have to go out and lay in the sun in your thong for two hours a day. How are you going to do that? Especially if you live in Alaska. So that's just one example of somebody with and you know we you talk a lot about the MTHFR uh, polymorphism, which affects. Uh, I think heterozygotes are what twenty percent of the population. Is that correct? For for those of our listeners who um, are totally glazed over now by the talk of genetics, uh, what what Bob is talking about is uh, some some folate metabolizing enzymes that um, genetically some of us don't do that very well. A huge percentage of us. Yeah, yeah, a good percentage of us don't convert inactive folic acid and some of the folates that we get in food to that active form of folate that we have to use as a metabolic cofactor for a number of of, uh, biochemical reactions. And the consequence of that is that this toxic compound called homocysteine will increase in the bloodstream. So if a person's eating a quote normal diet and they have a high homocysteine because they've got this genetic variant, uh, how are you supposed to address that? You, you you can't really get enough folic acid in your diet to get that homocysteine down. Well, that's, we used to call that an inborn error of metabolism. Um, and it's, it's actually quite common. I measure homocysteine all the time. Um, and I see high homocysteine levels quite frequently. Now, the biggest concern about homocysteine is that it predisposes to Alzheimer's disease, of which we've got a huge epidemic in our country and around the world. So again, if you can maybe get enough nutrients from diet if you just want to stay alive and not get scurvy. Um, but if you want to prevent a chronic disease like Alzheimer's disease, uh, partially as a result from high homocysteine, then I think dietary supplements are the way to go. One other st- uh, statistic that we can look at is from the uh, National Health Oh gosh, the NHANES. Um, what is what? What's the National acronym? Health and Nutrition Evaluation Survey or something like that? Right. Okay. Great. Um, 
from that last survey. It's a national survey that was done uh, of people in the US uh, asking them various questions about their diet, about health issues and lifestyle and things like that. Uh, and in that study, nationwide average, um, when, we, when they looked at people who ate the recommended amounts of fruits and vegetables daily, uh, the average was about 10%. Huh. So you've got 90% of the population that don't get the uh, the amount of fruits and vegetables that they should be getting, which plays right into what you're saying here that, you know, sure, if you're eating that that perfect diet, then yeah, you might be able to get all of your nutrients from that if you don't have other stuff going on potentially with health conditions or genetic stuff. Yep, yep. I mean, what if you've got an uh, imbalance of unhealthy bacteria in your gut? You know, one of the consequences of that is that um, those bacteria can convert this really critical nutrient called choline into a toxic chemical called TMAO. Which actually, you make TMA in the gut, trimethylamine, from choline, and then the liver converts it into this toxic chemical called TMAO. Um, so it has been estimated that only a third of the population already gets enough choline in their diet. So if you've got unhealthy bacteria that are, that are using up the small amount of choline that, that you're eating, then you're at risk of choline deficiency. And what does choline deficiency do? A lot of different things. But one thing that it's really well known for, well described, is it causes fatty liver. They've done animal studies where they took choline out of the animal's diet and they all developed fatty liver. Well, we've got an epidemic of fatty liver. It affects about a third of the population in the United States. And fatty liver predisposes to cirrhosis and liver cancer. So you can maybe get away with eating a crappy diet for a while, but eventually it's going to catch up and cause one of these chronic diseases like fatty liver. And it may take a number of years, but uh, it, and unless you've got some great genetics that uh, somehow prevent it, it, it'll catch up to you. Yep, absolutely. All right. So what, you know, I see, I, I often, when I talk to people about nutrients, I, I often discuss them as, um, as an insurance plan, right? So I suppose every single person could get extensive genetic testing done and find out if they have an increased need for folic acid or some, or, or vitamin D or zinc or, or essential fatty acids like fish oil. They could get tested and find out if they need them and then only supplement based on that. Or they could just take the supplements uh, as an insurance program. And we may get to that. We may get to being able to do that, uh, that genetic testing, looking at that lifestyle uh, metabolome uh, uh, of uh, all of the biochemical markers in your body and your bugs that are growing uh, in, in and on you. Yep. And then we, we can do some, I mean, that's the holy grail right now for personalized medicine, right? Yep, yep. Um, I, I would say that that's busted as well, that you can busted. get all your, all your nutrients from your diet. Let's, let's look at uh, another one here. Let's look at um, supplements that might not be safe if you're taking a blood thinner. One of the myths is that fish oil should be, if you're taking a fish oil supplement, you absolutely should discontinue that supplement before surgery because it might cause you to bleed out during surgery. And, and that has been a real concern for surgeons. Yeah, I mean, I've had surgeons tell my patients, stop taking fish oil a month before surgery. Right. 
Yeah. So the then I ask him, I say, did the did the surgeon tell you to stop eating salmon a month before surgery? No, they didn't. Well, wait a minute. If you're eating a salmon fillet, isn't that going to have just as much omega three in it? Why don't they tell you to not eat a salmon fillet? So there's there's already a big flaw in the logic. But the biggest flaw was that this had never been studied. They just assumed that you know eating fish makes your blood thin because that's what happens in in the Inuit in Greenland is that they have thinner blood, you know, their bleeding times are longer. But I've often said, well, why don't we just do a bleeding time with the patient and see if the bleeding time, which is an easily performed test, is uh, is abnormal. But study came out a couple of weeks ago that actually looked at, um, at supplementation. Was it supplements or diet? I can't remember. It was supplements. Yeah, they were actually taking fish oil supplements, and the, there was no increase in a prescription fish oil supplement, I believe. Prescription fish oil, and there was no increase in complications from surgery. No extra, no excess bleeding, no complications, no no other adverse effects of it. Yeah. Um, now, you know, we, we often hear about people with excess bleeding from surgery, but an even bigger issue is getting blood clots after surgery, you know, deep vein thrombosis in particular, because the person's bedridden. How come they don't think about the potential benefits for preventing uh, DVT? Exactly. Yeah. One of the other things that they found in that study was there were fewer blood transfusions in the people who were taking a, a fish oil supplement. So uh, that I, that totally busts that myth. Yeah. So I don't worry about it at all. I don't tell my patients getting surgery that they should stop taking fish oil. I've, I've actually had people who are getting a colonoscopy and told they should stop fish oil before the colonoscopy. I just, I think that's nuts. It just, you know, it's based on a misunderstanding. The misunderstanding is that the, the the fish oil makes your blood sort of uh, more slippery and less likely to let the platelets less likely to stick together, uh, which might increase clotting, theoretically. And that's all up till now been theoretical. You know, there was actually a study I think last year. I mean, there was this recent study, but one a year ago where they people took up to ten grams a day of EPA and DHA. That's a huge amount. And there were no complications from surgery in those people either. So there, it's not just this one study. There's several meta-analyses, et cetera. All right. So we can probably put a pin in that one as well. Yes. All right. um, how about CoQ10? Um, it has been theorized, again, that CoQ10, since it has a backbone structure that looks kind of like vitamin K, uh, that you shouldn't take it if you're taking a blood thinner. Yeah, I mean, to my knowledge, there's not a single study that shows that there's a problem. And, you know, I mean, this is easily enough done, and we can talk about taking vitamin K when people are on Coumadin as well. Um, but, you know, it's easily enough done. You just you get a person stabilized on Coumadin. You, you know, make sure their INR is the same week after week, and then you put them on CoQ10 and see if their INR goes up. And I don't think there's any studies that show that to be the case. I guess we'll talk a little bit about vitamin K later, but I, again, I've not seen a problem with that. I have a lot of people uh, that take them both together because it turns out, you know, there it's the population that's going to need Coumadin is often a population that's going to need CoQ10. So uh, a little older population. You, you and I yes. both... You and I both uh, tread pretty carefully when we're talking about age. Elderly is always at least 20 years older than what you are right now. Right? Yeah, I know. 
60 <laughs> is the new 50, I think. <laughs> All right. Uh, the one, one last one, the one last myth here as far as uh, blood thinners and surgery and such is curcumin. Uh, that's been another one that theoretically some people have said, let's not have people take curcumin if they're taking a blood thinner uh, because it, or if they're having surgery, same kind of reasoning. What do you say? I think curcumin, that? isn't curcumin an antiplatelet agent? Um, just like um, bromelain from pineapple stem, you know, basically what these compounds do is they make platelets less sticky. And that's generally a good thing because they prevent excessive blood clots, but they don't make the platelets so unsticky that they cause hemorrhage. Now, aspirin does, you know, aspirin can, aspirin inhibits platelet stickiness and it's problematic, but natural compounds do it in a very mild way, enough to prevent excessive clots, but not enough to cause hemorrhage. Now, specifically with curcumin, there was a, uh, a recent study that looked at uh, the Mariva curcumin that um, looked at it in this population and saw that it did not have any negative effect. Yeah, I wouldn't expect it to. Uh, I, I think curcumin may have some pharmacokinetic interactions with other with certain medications maybe through CYP450 uh, enzymes, but I think they're very mild at best. And, but, uh, you know, in terms of the, in the antiplatelet effect, you know, causing a problem, I mean, that that gets back to the fish oil thing, too. If somebody's on Coumadin, can they take fish oil? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. yeah. Absolutely, because yeah. we're talking different pathways. Coumadin works on the vitamin K pathway. Um, fish oil works on platelet stickiness. Yeah, and, and same thing with curcumin. Curcumin is not going to interfere with that clotting that biochemical clotting mechanism no yeah no no but i do think um the new antiplatelet drugs that are out there digabatron um what like eliquis um not plavix Plavi but not plavix no not plavix not so much but i think it's eliquis and there's a third one um can't think of the name of it it starts with the x i think there's some advantages to them in that you don't have to measure INR like you do in Coumadin, and they don't cause mm -hmm. coronary calcification like Coumadin. But there's also a lot more drug interactions with those drugs. And if a person has a hemorrhage on them, then they're in trouble. We still don't have, you know, the best solution. What if somebody's got chronic AFib, for example, and they need to be on something? You know, we, we still don't have a really good solution to that. Zarelto is the one that you were thinking about. Zarelto, exactly. The one that sounds like a Z, but it's spelled with an X. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think, I know, I'm pretty sure that Eliquis interacts with curcumin. So you got, so those are a no-no. But, you know, again, these drugs are so new that we don't really have experience with them. So I think it's more animal studies, et cetera, or in vitro studies showing this potential interaction. Um. That being said, again, because the risk of hemorrhage is so high with these drugs, we got to be really careful. So I have no issue if a person's on, on Coumadin taking curcumin. If they're on Eliquist, I would say no. That's great, Dr. Bob. Hey, uh, that's the end of uh, part one of our myth-busting in the supplement industry uh, episode. Hey, join us again for part two of this podcast. We'll have Dr. Bob back again and uh, delve into more information and uh, more spirited conversation. Thanks. We'll talk to you again soon.